Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. I'm your host, Jordan Morrow, and today we are joined by attorney Fred Karlinski. Fred, thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me, Jordan. I appreciate the work that you do on these podcasts or webcasts, as you may call them, and I appreciate the Florida Surplus Line Service Office and putting them on. Well, we're glad to be talking with you. For our listeners who've been following us for a while, you may remember a few years ago, we had a great conversation with Fred, largely around the topic of assignment of benefits, which we'll touch on a little bit today. But Fred, for our guests who may not know who you are, can you start off just by telling me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. And and thanks again. So Fred Karlinski, I am a shareholder at Greenberg Traurig, which is a international law firm. It was actually started in Miami in 19... 19- 67. We currently have about 2,300 lawyers in 40 plus offices around the world, 30 of which are domestic. So, majority of our offices are domestic. At Greenberg Traurig, I co chair the insurance regulatory and transactions practice worldwide, which means I deal with insurance companies on their regulatory, uh, public policy, and transactional matters, not only insurance companies, but insurance related interests. Um, MGAs, brokers, TPAs, uh, reinsurers, you name it. And uh, like I said, I do that all over the world. I am originally from Miami. I went to school at the University of Miami. I went to undergraduate there where I majored in communications. Then I went to FSU for law school. And I've been a practicing attorney ever since I was 25, 26 years old, and I've been doing this a lot longer than I, uh, I even care to remember, but, but going on almost 30 years now and, and almost exclusively focusing on insurance, regulatory, transactional, and public policy matters. Florida native and been here a long time and had a lot of experience, so we're looking forward to talking with you and uh, gaining some of your insight and expertise. Yeah, there aren't as many Florida natives as uh, as you think, although I think there's more of them than uh, people think. But but at the end of the day, having grown up in Miami and seeing the changes to Florida, spending a lot of time in Tallahassee and now living in Broward County, I certainly have seen Florida significantly change over the last, you know, my, my whole lifetime, 54 years. And it's been quite dramatic, but but frankly, pretty uh, fascinating pretty interesting and, and pretty exciting too. Absolutely. You've got a host of experience and knowledge and we're excited to get a little piece of that today. And Fred, you touched on it a little bit in your introduction, but can you tell me a little bit more about what kind of involvement do you have with the Surplus Lines Marketplace and regulation in the state of Florida? Well, thanks for that question, Jordan. So we feel that the Surplus Lines Marketplace in Florida and in the United States is a very important component in the insurance arena. So for many years, I and our firm have served as outside regulatory and legislative counsel for the Florida Surplus Lines Service Office. And that's a role that we really um, think is a very important role. We have high regard for the work that you and, and Gary and the entire team at the Florida Surplus Lines Service Office uh, do. And it really is an honor and a privilege to represent you all in, in the quarters that we represent you, which in addition to before the Florida legislature and Florida executive branches includes the NAIC. In addition, I regularly provide counsel to surplus lines carriers 
and surplus lines brokers who are doing business in Florida as well as pretty much every state of the nation. We are involved with the Florida Surplus Lines Association as members. We are also members of the WSIA, and prior to that, we're members of and involved with NAPSLO and the AAMGA before they merged into WSIA. There's also another entity, um, which is more of a loose collaboration, if you will, that is now has now been taken over by the WSIA, the Surplus Lines Law Group. We spend a lot of time working within that group to make sure that Florida's positions and, and things that are going on in Florida or nationally as they relate to bigger picture issues are um, advanced through, through that forum. In addition, we've represented in the past NAPSLO and, and AMGA on some of the things that they've tried to do either in court or, or legislatively and, and conversely, we've defended those organizations when someone was attacking what we were trying to do on behalf of them or their mission as well. And, and so we take a lot of pride in the amount of time and effort that we put into understanding the surplus lines marketplace. We think it's a very important complement to the admitted market. And we think that there is an important role for surplus lines and discussions about surplus lines to play in Florida, as well as the rest of the country and, and the rest of the world. Absolutely. You've got a ton of experience with the surplus lines marketplace in both Florida and surrounding states across the country. And we're so excited to be talking with you. And Fred, as you are no doubt well aware, Florida's annual legislative session came to a close at the end of April. What were some of the bills related to surplus lines regulation or insurance that you were following? So thanks, Jordan. I'm, I'm well aware that session did end on time this year at the end of April. For those that don't follow this as closely, in odd years, our legislative sessions are in March and, and April, maybe bleeding over to May, depending on or the beginning of May, depending on how the calendar and, and, and the dates sit on the calendar in any given year. And then in even years, like next year, it's January and February. That's when we have session in, in, in those years. And so um, session did end on time, April 30th. There were a lot of things that were on the table for insurers. Um, very few passed, and, and some of those things were good, and some of those things were bad. One thing to note for surplus lines, insurers, and brokers was the DFS agency package, which is House Bill 1209. That bill passed with a provision that allows surplus lines flood insurance to be exported without diligent effort. That provision um, in there was a priority for some of my clients and, and obviously other surplus lines players, and that did pass. In addition, uh, the Consumer Protection Package, House Bill 1119, applies the 90-day claims filing deadline to surplus lines companies in the state of Florida. And so that's an important provision that surplus lines carriers should be aware of and, and should watch. Last but not least, Senate Bill 76, which was the property insurance bill dealing with some of the adverse situations that property insurers have found themselves in over the last couple of years in the state of Florida, which bill provided reform to claims and litigation under property insurance policies, was a bill that we worked on quite a bit. All three of those pieces of legislation as we sit here today have yet to go to the governor 
but they will go to the governor. And our hope and expectation is that um, 1209 will pass and, and 76 will pass. Obviously, 1119 um, has some things in there that the industry does not love, but there's also some things in there that I think are helpful to the industry. And, and you know, while we're not necessarily advocating for that bill, my sentiment is that it would wind up passing because it was a priority for the state CFO, Jimmy Petronas. A lot of bills were discussed, and yeah, obviously the Senate is a tremendously busy time for everyone involved. And uh, you mentioned that some of these bills haven't been signed by the governor yet, but if, if they were, what do you think are some of the high-level impacts that we'll see made to the surplus lines market as a result of these bills passing? The provision allowing the export of surplus lines policies without diligent effort, to me, will benefit consumers and the market alike because you'll have a set of circumstances where you won't have to go through the diligent effort process in order to immediately export a flood policy to the surplus lines market. And that is a really good thing. There are very few um, admitted companies writing that business. That business is very conducive to be written in the surplus lines market. And I think anything that we do to uh, keep a policy out of the National Flood Insurance Program is a good thing to do because once those policies get in there, it's very hard to get them out. So that was really good policy language in the DFS agency package. In addition, I think the notice and attorney fees provision and reform that's in Senate Bill 76 could mitigate some of the significant losses that are being suffered by the homeowners uh, writers in the state of Florida. And I am hopeful that the governor will sign that and that will have some immediate impact on the results of carriers and therefore ultimately make the marketplace more stable. And to our listeners, we will be sure to keep you posted on any updates or uh, changes as these bills go to the governor's desk and beyond. So don't worry, we'll uh, keep you in the loop there. And Fred, you've been involved with legislative sessions in Florida for a long time, but the big news of the past year and a half or so has obviously been COVID-19. How has COVID made the legislative sessions of 2020 and 2021 different than you're used to in years prior? I've been involved in legislative sessions since 1991 when I was an intern in the Florida House of Representatives. So I can tell you that this year was a really strange year. The town of Tallahassee was effectively empty when you'd look at after hours on the street or in some of the gathering places. There were very few people there. We as a firm and, and, and our practice were very fortunate that we spend a lot of time in the off season working with legislators. And so we had a number of legislators that because the Capitol was, was effectively closed down, would come over to the office, would, would spend some time with us, would call us back when we needed to. But it was a really strange time. The, the Capitol was shut down. Obviously, everyone was wearing masks. And if you wanted to testify in a Senate committee, you had to do so from the Civic Center. So you didn't see people live, you know, you couldn't see their reactions the same way and you couldn't scan the room the same way you would if you were sitting in a room. Having said that, I think, um, and, and, and I'm really proud of the work that, that our team did to make sure that any of the issues that our clients had, we spoke to rank and file members of the House and Senate. We spoke to committee chairs on those issues in the House and Senate. 
and we spoke to the speaker and the, the Senate president, as well as the governor, the insurance commissioner, and the um, CFO's office on those types of issues. And so we were able to deal with it. I think others, if you didn't have the ability to meet with folks outside of the Capitol, if you didn't have the ability to get phone calls returned, it, it made life very difficult. And so in that regard, I feel like in, in very trying times under very difficult circumstances, we were able to, um, as best as anyone could, advocate on behalf of our clients. And so I am exceptionally grateful for the team that we have and really grateful for the members of the legislature and the executive branch who were willing to spend time with us in, in non-traditional settings and in non-traditional ways as it relates to how you would normally do business in, in Tallahassee during session. You mentioned having people from the Civic Center uh, testify and speak about these different issues. And that just has to be uh, such a strange thing from what we're used to. You know, I know that uh, we've all kind of gotten used to meetings on Zoom and Teams, and that's just kind of the way the world is right now. But it's just no substitution for face-to-face. -face. So hopefully that's uh, something we're getting back to sometime in the hopefully not too distant future. Well, shortly, and I, and I agree completely with you, shortly after session, the Capitol did open. And, and some people found that curious. But look, I, I understand what the speaker and the Senate president and the governor were doing. You don't want to have members of your government exposed to things if you can avoid that. And, and, and you wanted to avoid having the potential that a number of members were out, therefore shutting down the process, making it get extended because of that and, and costing policyholders or costing taxpayers that was a Freudian slip there, but costing taxpayers dollars because of that. And, and so I think while some didn't like it, and, and I don't think we really loved it, we understood why that happened. And, you know, what is it that they say? If you can't adapt, you're going to go the way of the dinosaur. And I think we adapted to that situation. And, and like I said, I feel like we were able to give our clients the same service as if the capital were open for business and and i feel very grateful that we were able to do that absolutely it may not have been the easy call but it's the right call to keep people safe and healthy well we spent some time talking about covid19 we've talked about the legislative session a little bit let's change gears and fred you are obviously well known for your very successful career as an attorney but in addition to that you are also an adjunct professor with the florida state university college of law how has COVID changed how you teach your students and, it had, and has it had any impact on what you're talking about inside of the classroom? I've been an adjunct professor at the Florida State University College of Law for the last uh, 14 years. I teach a course on insurance law and risk management, and it's a really fun thing to do. As I mentioned, I've done that now for 14 years. I used to do a class during the week, one, one night a week along with a full professor uh, who was an economics professor at the law school. And when he left ultimately to go uh, run an association, he's now uh, a, a senior um, governmental official in, in DC. But when he left, um, I, I was left with the course alone and it was very difficult to commit and say, look, every Tuesday is gonna wind up working. And so the law school came to me and said, Fred, we've been experimenting with a spring break class, four days a week, effectively eight hours a day. We would like you to do that. And I said, tell you what, I will do that. 
as long as it can be Fred and friends. I can't speak for eight hours a day. It wouldn't be that interesting to hear from me anyway for eight hours ever in your lifetime, let alone four days times times eight hours. So we made it a Fred and friends class where I have uh, colleagues from the law firm come in. I have legislators come in. I've had the insurance commissioner, the CFO, um, you name it. We've had them come in, insurance executives, reinsurance executives, modelers and others. And it really has become a course that is almost a must take course for second and third year law students. So I think we've had as many as 80 students in the course in, in any given year. Last year in 2020, if you recall, the, the world sort of shut down the middle of March. Well, the class was slated to start the Monday after FSU effectively shut down. So we made the decision the Thursday night before that Monday start to make that class a virtual class. And so we were the guinea pigs for FSU in, in virtual and distance learning. We did it all by Zoom. I was a infant when it came to Zoom. Now I'm an expert, but but I didn't even put my camera on the whole time. I basically did it all by phone and we had the same guest speakers. Actually, we had better speakers because people who otherwise it would have been very difficult for them to come into Tallahassee were able to join us. In 2020, we had someone from the Department of Health who was getting a Juris Master, a Master uh, of Laws degree, as well as someone from the CDC in Atlanta. So they were giving us updates every day. I'd have them do a morning update and an afternoon update. We did talk about COVID a lot, but but that class is really great. And, and we've even had people from OIR sit in on, on parts of that class because you get to have a broad understanding of what's going on in the insurance marketplace from, from all aspects of insurance, from reinsurance, from the, the viewpoint of the agents and the brokers from the viewpoint of the property uh, companies or the life companies or the health companies. And so we talked about how COVID impacted all of those uh, segments of the marketplace and really did have a good class in 2020. We knew we were going to be online for 2021. We prepared for that. Like I said, we were able to have speakers from all over the country who otherwise it would have been a hardship for them to get to Tallahassee. We're able to join us in that class. And I think the students really appreciated the work that, that, that I did, the work that the teaching assistants did, and the work that the guest speakers did in making sure that they had a very robust introduction to insurance and that we had very good discussions, informative discussions about what insurance is like and, and how it really impacts every aspect of, of their daily life and their business. That seems to be one of the biggest advantages of tools and mediums like Zoom and Teams is that even though you're not meeting face-to-face, -face, you have the ability to bring in speakers and experts from all over the country to talk about these subjects. So I hope that uh, what your students, you know, while they didn't get to experience a traditional class, they got something a little bit different in gaining all these people from, like you mentioned, CDC and uh, all across the country. And I think that we uh, at FSLSO have had a few of our staff go and speak there in the past, and they've really enjoyed talking to your students about it. So it's always a, a big fun event for us to go up there and speak and uh, you know help uh, teach the next generation. Absolutely. You all have been big supporters of that and, and that class, and really the comments that you all have made there have 
really been instructive to the students and, and very well received. This year, because we were online again, we had a student from Seoul, South Korea, who was taking the course in the middle of the night for, for her because she was in South Korea during the entire class. And so it was interesting when we would call on her, not as a joke, but just to make sure she was still up. Uh, she always was right there ready to answer. And so she was one of the stars of the class and, and we really appreciated her effort to, to be involved in the class, given the time difference from where she was to Tallahassee and, and you know, when the speakers were speaking. That's pretty incredible. I'd, I'd have to look at a globe to be sure, but I'm pretty sure Seoul is just about as far away from Tallahassee as you can get. So nothing short of amazing. And Fred, what a lot of people remember about our last conversation from a few years ago is AOB, Assignment of Benefits. That was the big topic of discussion. Can you remind our listeners what AOB is and has there been any progress on this issue in the last year or two that we should know about? Thanks for that question. So AOB is an assignment of benefit where an insured signs over the right of their benefit under an insurance policy to a third party. And in, in, in most cases relating to property claims, it's to some type of a contractor. AOBs are not new to the insurance marketplace. They've been used for a very long time in the healthcare space, and they're tried and true in the healthcare space, but there are certain protections that healthcare carriers get that property insurers do not get. So AOBs were, frankly, very rampant in the state of Florida and, and, and unique to the state of Florida, in part because of our one-way attorney's fees. Two years ago, the legislature passed legislation that made the ability to do an AOB-style activity much more difficult because of changes to the attorney fee, the one-way attorney's fees provisions that we have in law. And, and those changes really did make a difference. And so part of what was put into Senate Bill 76 was a schedule. I don't think it was as comprehensive as the one that was put in place for, for AOB, but it's a start. But that schedule and some of the other things that the legislature did really did make a difference. And so we've seen the ability to abuse AOBs be curtailed over the past couple of years. That is critical. It's interesting because it seems like once we fix one problem, another problem rears its head in the state of Florida. I, a number of folks have referred to that as, as the old game of whack-a-mole, but AOB um, is still something we need to be very cognizant of. But again, the legislation that was passed two years ago by the legislature really has made a difference in the ability uh, or, or inability for people to abuse the AOB system. Thank you for that update. Sounds like there's definitely been some progress being made there and will continue to be so. And Fred, I've got one last question for you before we wrap up this call. A little bit different than what we've talked about before, but Florida House lawmakers also passed a gambling compact that would give the Seminole Tribe new casinos and games. Can you tell us a little bit about this legislation and what it will mean for Florida? Absolutely. So full disclosure and caveat, our firm does represent and has for a long time proudly represented the Seminole Tribe. But, but here's what I'd say with that backdrop. At the very least, the legislation that was passed that has been signed by the governor will, and, and ultimately there's been a lot of talk about it being challenged in court, but assuming that it withstands those challenges, the legislation would provide some predictability 
in the agreement between the parties and it would create an improved relationship with the Seminole tribe. Not that there was necessarily a bad relationship, but there wasn't an agreement that we now have in place between the Seminole tribe and the state of Florida. So that agreement would call for a minimum of half a billion dollars a year for the next five years in, in revenue to the state of Florida from the activities of the Seminole tribe. Um, it will also create a framework for gaming going forward in the state. Uh, to me, it, it, it's a good step forward, and we'll have to see how that all plays out. But I do think that the governor and the legislature and the Seminole tribe should be commended for trying to work that issue through and trying to come to a resolution on all the outstanding issues as quickly as possible. The governor negotiated it, signed it uh, rather quickly. And the legislature came back in to session and special session rather quickly to codify it. And, and so I think that was that activity between those parties, that coordinated activity was a really good thing to see happen. And hopefully that um, relationship will continue over the course of time because it's to the benefit of the state of Florida and it's to the benefit of the, the, the taxpayers of the state of Florida to have that relationship put in place with the Seminole tribe. Well, Fred, I wanted to thank you again so much for coming on this episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. We have really enjoyed speaking with you and thank you as always for your expertise and sharing your insights. Well, Jordan, I, I just want to thank you and Gary and the entire team at the Florida Surplus Lines Service Office. Again, it's been our privilege to um, work with you all and represent you all for many years. You all embody uh, everything that's good about a public-private um, construct uh, in the state of Florida, and we look forward to working together for many years to come. And to our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode of the FSLSO Palmcast, be sure to check out our other episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on future episodes of the FSLSO Palmcast. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.